like I have a word, a word for the Lord, from the Lord, for the Lord, for the Lord's people right now. And uh, so I, I've been, <clears throat> if you guys don't know me, I'm, uh, some of you, how many have never gone through the school of prayer? Just raise your hand. If you've never, raise it high. Okay, a lot of you. So a lot of you guys don't, you've maybe seen me sharing here, but so you don't know much about me. And I feel like the Lord wants me to just share just a little bit, like who who knows my whole, who knows my name, my whole name? Anybody can, can anybody say my whole name? Gary Benjamin says, there's no way. My daughter in the back says, I know it, Dad. Uh Okay, I'm just going to give a little bio. I'm going to start uh, when I was born. Uh, I, was at a, I was at a conference in Kansas City one time with like 200 leader, all prayer leaders in this uh, room, and they had us break into you know, groups at tables. And the first, uh, each person was supposed to share for two minutes what, you know, the little bit about who they were, a minute or two. The first lady starts when she was born. And she goes through this thing, and I mean, she's going and going, and I'm, you don't know me, but my patience for those things is kind of runs dry quick, and I'm just, and I'm with another friend who's more high strung than I am, and, and we're just like burning, like, will this ever end? The next lady starts when I was in my mother's womb. I'm not, I tell you the truth. I look at my friend, he looks at me, we both get up, we just walk away. It was just like, you know, but I, I'm gonna share, I'm gonna share this because I think, I think it is prophetic. I, I was born in a uh, big family in the south side of Chicago. My dad was, uh, my dad was Jewish. He was raised in a Jewish home. My, fa my grandfather, Samuel Grossman, was uh, driven out of his country in the Ukraine in the late 1800s, came to America, married a girl, and he spoke Jewish. I mean, he spoke Jewish. He raised all the kids as Jewish kids, and, and uh, then as World War II came and all the bad stuff with the Jews, my father suppressed that. His whole, from then on, he suppressed it. We never knew but always suspected because my grandfather died when he was when I was about five. So, but uh, my dad then became Catholic, and my dad was the guy in the Catholic Church when they did the when they did the mass in Latin. He stood next to the priest, and he he'd wear a suit. I mean, very handsome man, uh, and he would basically lead the prayers. All the prayers, all the all in English, he would do the whole thing and lead the congregation in prayers. And uh, so I was the eighth child in this family, and my dad thought I would be the last, so he named me. Uh, he he thought I'm gonna, you know, my dad would drink a little bit because in in Catholicism, that's you know, to drink is like it's okay. I mean, you know. So he would drink a little bit, and you know, so back then when you had a, a man was having a baby, he wouldn't go in the, the room like we do now. The guys go right in the room 
with the woman as she's having the baby, you know. How many guys have done that with your... I mean, you know, the moms go in there. Sometimes they'll have seven, eight people in the room while the woman's giving birth. It's like, whoa. But anyway, back then, the, the dads would stand outside and they'd pace and maybe drink, smoke a cigar. They're getting ready for the baby. And so when I was born, my dad, my dad was a little tipsy, and he, but having this uh, background that he had, he, he, he named me. He thought, I'm, this, my last, this is my last kid. So he's like, I'm going to put a name on him that will stick and seal the deal for you know, the family. So he named me Thomas Aquinas, Augustine Paul, Michael the Archangel, Joseph. Grossman. And, you know, that's not that long of a name, but uh, that's on my birth certificate, by the way. If anyone doesn't believe it, I'll fax you a copy. And uh, when I was a little kid, my, my brothers would drag me around. I had all these big brothers. They would drag me around and they would say, tell them your name to new people. So I've done this like hundreds of times. So I, I believe that my name's prophetic. We had four more kids in our family, and I was the first one to, you know, um, we, were, we, were, we were a messed up family, just let, not detail, but I was the first one to become a believer. And really, you know, there's a couple kind of trying, but I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a, you know, became this fiery evangelist when I was 27 years old. And uh, my wife and I were born again. Louise, where are you? Raise your hand. She's in the back there. If you don't know Louise, she's an awesome woman of God. And uh, so we, be, we, yeah, thank you. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I, I want to just make the, I'm going to bring this up to speed here. So anyway, we got saved. When I got saved, I got saved out of darkness into light. I mean, I came out of deep, deep sin and darkness and in one moment in one moment the preacher shared this little Nazarene pastor shared the gospel I was I needed God it wasn't like he was sharing with someone who was like just Luke yeah I needed God and I knew I needed I needed mercy I really needed mercy because my life had crumbled everything I was in deep darkness Close to death, I was on a death trip. I was, I was going to kill somebody or someone was going to kill me. And I was on a death trip. And uh, in one moment, I called on his name. I asked him to forgive me. And he came into my life, and it was like this stone rolled off my back, this dark cloud that had been following me from the time I was a little bitty kid because my brothers would not only drag me around, make me tell them their name, but then they'd say, okay, beat them up, and I'd have to fight. I'd be a little tiny kid. I'd have to fight guys that were like three, four years older than me, and if I didn't fight them, then my brothers would say, well, if you don't do it, we're going to beat you up, then we're going to beat him up anyway. So that was my kind of life. I was in this violent life, and and uh, when I came to Christ, he he. he you know, this dark cloud rolled off me, and all I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was lead other people to Christ. So I learned the gospel. I learned the, you know, I learned the four spiritual laws. I learned the evangelism explosion. I mean, I was going to lead people to Christ, and I spent the next six years sharing my testimony with 
every single person you could ask my wife. I'd be pumping gas at the gas station someday. Hey, I, well, can I share something with you? And boom, I'd be I'd be on it. I was like, I was like Mr. Gospel. I I wanted. I was looking really. I was insecure and looking for approval from my father. And I was trying to please him. And I would share the gospel. I shared the gospel door to door. I shared the gospel on street corners. I, I carried signs. I, you know, was with guys to carry crosses. I, I did it everywhere. And at event, I went to Christ for the Nations. I was on a team that led every student through our evangelism training and took them all out on the streets. They all had to do this. It was part of their class, their grade. And so I, man... I wanted to do this, but I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. I had no gift for it because I witnessed to hundreds and hundreds. I mean, I got a story. I got a story, not only my story, but then his story. It's like put those two together. It's like pow. And uh, I mean, I just didn't see what I was hoping to see. And I finally hit a dead end, hit a dead end in the church and my wife and I were church planters. We planted a, a church, and it ended badly. We we didn't know. I got betrayed. I got uh, depressed. I got offended, and I did not know how to fix it. I did not know how to get through that time, and so I spent the next decade depressed and in despair and singing the blues. And uh, so for almost a decade. And then the Lord led. We were part of Shady Grove Church. Gary was the pastor uh, there, one of the pastors there. We were part of that. It was a great church. The presence of God. I mean, every Sunday I'd get renewed, but by Sunday afternoon it'd be, it'd be like I was like a bucket with holes in it. And uh, uh, my family was going, my sons were going astray. My, my sons were, you know, 18, 19 by this time. They were starting to smoke pot and chase girls. And, you know, they loved God, but they were popular athletes. And, you know, they just had all those doors open to them. And, and so uh, they were going astray. And I was going astray. And uh, one of the guys, one of the leaders at Shady Grove Church, I was whining to him at lunch saying, man, I am so depressed. I could just put a gun to my head right now. I said I could drive my car into a Vidoc, a, an overpass, and my wife would be better off. I mean, that's where I was, really. And he said, listen, we've got this house of prayer thing starting. He didn't even know how to explain it. This house of prayer thing, he said, it's going to be like worship, like 24-7, the presence of God. He says, I want, I want you to come and check it out. You know, it was just, this was 16 years ago, like this month. And so... Uh, I was whining to him some more. I'll shorten his story, but he stuck his finger in my chest, and he, he stuck his finger in my chest, and he said, I'm going to make you my project this year. And something kind of like a spark of hope for the first time in year in a decade came on me. And I went to the conference, and some of you have heard this story before, but here I am, depressed, despair. The, the, I'm, we're in a church uh, that's seated about 500. The place is packed, uh, Church of the King, met where you were, Gary was there, I'm sure. Uh, pastors from all over the region, uh, singers and musicians, worship leaders. It's full of all these on-fire people. And I'm sitting on the back row right by the door thinking, 
if any, I got invited, but not really. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, hey, you know, come, but, you know, hide in the back kind of thing, you know. I was back by the back door. I'm serious. Thinking if anybody comes up to me and says, what are you doing here? I would just go, whoops, I'm in the wrong room, and I would just slip out. That's really where I was. I was not a leader. I was far from God. My heart was lost. But I was thirsty. Here I was again, thirsty. And... uh during the worship, the team from Kansas City was leading worship, and I had my hands up, and I, I was praising the Lord, and it was just, you know, really awesome. And I'm looking up. It was at night, and all of a sudden, I'm looking into the stars, and I'm looking into the stars. I'm in a building, but I'm looking into the sky, the stars at night, and I see the Lord returning. He's on a white horse. Jesus, the Lord God Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's on a white horse. He's coming. The hosts of heaven are behind him, and he's coming right over downtown Dallas to Highway 30. And from Highway 30, from downtown Dallas to Fort Worth, the whole region is lined up on both sides of the highway like they're waiting for a parade. I didn't know what I was seeing. I was like, whoa, what is this? The Lord's coming back, and I'm thinking, man, we're in the Bible Belt, all these on-fire people. This is going to be, I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome for them. But as he descended, I saw the people weeping and wailing, weeping and wailing and just moaning. And, and I, the idea that we're not ready for this just went into my heart and changed my life. Just in that moment, I don't know how long that lasted. Maybe it was 30 seconds. It could have been a minute or two. It was not that long, but it was an open vision. And I did not realize it, but it was a call from the Lord as to what my life calling would be, to prepare the bride of Christ for his return. We're not ready. That was 16 years ago. I thought this would take about a year or two. I'm serious. And we began to go into worship meetings. My prayer life up to that time, many have heard this, would be, Lord, bless my wife, bless uh, my kids, help them win wrestling matches, bless me, help me make money, bless our pastor, bless the missionaries. That was it. I mean, that was something like that. I went from that, my wife and I just plugged into these two-hour prayer meetings. Tuesday, Thursday night, uh, Tuesday, Thursday night and morning. Four, four a week, two hours at a time. And I would sit on the front row of these, in this little room, worshiping God with all my heart. And the Lord would open the heavens up. I didn't, I didn't say anything to anybody. I didn't go, hey, man, I had a vision. I didn't know what to do with it. And I'd heard people be criticized over their weird vision, so I just, like, that went into me. And I was having these encounters with the Lord one after another for months on end. And after about three, two, three months of this, we were doing our 6 a.m. meeting one morning, and uh, all these people had promised to be part of this. We're going to do this, man. We're going to pray. We're going to be at the meetings. They'd all promised to be there, and it was just like, and I mean, these were anointed worship leaders, man. We had some great singing. I mean, the singing and worship was awesome. And I'm just getting transformed through this. And there's no one showing up. Two, three people showing up. And, and uh, the room seated about 150 people. And I, I remember one day my wife left. 
to go pick up some homeschool books with this lady, and I'm, we had this room seated about 150. It had this big glass window on the back that looked overlooked a garden, and it had these walls that came up about halfway, like these do, except there was not, nothing on top. It was like, like, you know, kind of partial walls around the building. And I was in the room, I was in the back, and I was just saying, God, where are all your people? Where are the people? And I was moaning to the Lord. And he opened my eyes for a split second. I'm telling you, I don't know how long this lasted. It just did not last that long. But I, I looked. I was in the back. I saw an angel in every chair. The room was full. They were seated shoulder to shoulder across the both sides of the room. And there was hundreds or thousands of them pressing into the glass. The angels wanted to be part of these meetings. They were like drawn to these meetings and drawn to the promise from the people of God that I'll be there. We're going to be there, man. The angels were there. But it's like, where are the people? 16 years ago, 15 and a half years ago. Guys, my heart, I... I the last couple months, my heart's been just really heavy. I'm so glad Gary and, and Marvin, Gary, I served with both these guys. I served with Marvin in Chicago for two, uh, two years, changed my life. Marvin was such a great friend, and so I got to be on worship teams with him, and he just honored me all the time and let me speak, and I was afraid to preach because I had so much shame on me, even though I had the vision, you know. After three years of leading the house of prayer uh, in Grand Prairie, I, I was still had shame on me about my 10 years of failure. And Marvin asked me to preach one time, and it was horrible. It was horrible. I was studying the book of Revelation, and all I talked about was the martyrs and the blood. All, I showed every place in the book of Revelation, every scripture where it talked about the martyrs and the blood. I went through every one. And I saw Marvin, that was Friday, I saw him on Monday. He said, how'd it go? I said, it was horrible, man, it was bad. He said, I heard it was pretty good. He said, I want you to do it again. I'm like, you're kidding me. Do it again this Friday. And Marvin basically was my, my buddy, my friend, my boom, he cheerleader, he kicked me out there and he, he just kind of cultivated my heart as a, to believe I could teach and preach. And then after two years, I wound up coming back here to Texas. Gary and I connected again. Gary's like, there's this move of God going on. I mean, we, I connected with it. My, kid, my kids did. I didn't tell you the whole story about my kids, but they're all worship leaders. They're all phenomenal. Just, I mean, this is just a gift to me. And uh, my daughter just is just a precious before the Lord. So anyway, uh, came back and we're, we're leading these powerful meetings. Every morning we had six, 40, I would say 40 to 80 people every morning, Monday through Thursday, maybe on Fridays was the Sabbath. So we'd have maybe 20, 30 people, but the meetings were fiery. The presence, I mean, we're in revival. We had these meetings in the evening and people were just pressing in and getting free. I mean, it was just like revival. But there was a shift that happened, a cosmic shift that happened. And uh, 
Gary and I talk about it every once in a while, but because uh, uh, he's he would he would he trusted me to help lead that and uh, warfare against what we were doing. Incredible, intense. I mean, Gary, I'm so glad you're alive, man. That you. I mean, I really feared for his life for a while there. Because he's such a man of God and he's so sensitive to what God's doing. I want to tell you guys that God wants to do a move. He's look, Gary said this yesterday and just broke some things loose in my heart. This was at lunch. God is looking for a forerunning church in this region. My heart's broken, man. I'm like a third of our congregation adults are here right now. You guys represent a third of the grace congregation adults just by the numbers and if you wanted it if you wanted it we could ha- there if you're thinking well what's going to take for revival we've heard every, you know what it will take it's going to take you man i can't do this alone i'm so grateful for greg gallimore and his wife and james bedwell and ben cavanaugh and the karen and her and the people that have come since last year, since February, to join and support us. But man, I'm telling you what, it, you know, there's some lonely, lonely times in that prayer room for me, and it breaks my heart to see, you know, this fire, and then we were so easily distracted, just as Marvin was preaching. I'm like, it breaks my heart. I'm not condemning anybody because I know the distractions are there. And I'm blessed because I get prayed, I get paid to pray. But I, I, I want to tell you guys that I believe there's so much more for us. We could have, and you know, so we've had this happen about since I've been leading this little over five years. We've had eight or ten or twelve times where something's prompted everyone to be in the prayer room, and it's packed. And a lot of us, let's face it, we're older. You know, I'm, I just turned sixty last week. We're older, and, uh, you know, we're used to our comfort and our room and everything, and people go, man, I'm not going to sit in a room packed like that. It's just too uncomfortable. You know what? If, if we had, like, three or four of those in a row or five, we could, we could go and say, hey, you know, if we were persistent, you know, if we didn't give up so easy, we could say, hey, let's move into a bigger room. We really need a bigger room. That the size of the room isn't isn't an issue. It's the size of our heart, our persistence and determination to keep seeking God. Okay, I lo- you guys are the most precious people I've ever encountered. Your character, the character of of the people here, are in the integrity that Gary's cultivated in this church is amazing. But somehow there's this. Distracted. I just want to, that was my setup for the message, okay? If you guys will be merciful toward me, okay? Because I, I believe, I believe as, as Gary shared, as Marvin shared, as Gary shared last night, I, I believe there's something, there's a deception going on that's very distinct in our hearts. And what, and Marvin really tied into it today, the way we see things. And, uh, I just want to talk about, I'm not going to go into a lot of the passages because it would take a lot of time. If, you've, if you haven't read my book, The Praying Church, I go, into, I go into some 
depth in this. So if you've been in the school of prayer, you've heard some of this, but not the, not the key thing that I want to share today. Okay. But I, I tell the story about, uh, I tell the story about Samuel and how, how Samuel was raised in the, he was raised in the tabernacle amongst wicked priests and how he found, he started sneaking as a little boy back behind the curtain to the, uh, to the ark, and he started sleeping by the ark at night. Eli, the, the priest, would sleep in the prayer room. They did the night watch together. Eli would sleep to make sure the lamps didn't go out. And, and he told Samuel, don't go back there. No one's allowed to go back there, but Samuel would sneak back there and sleep. And the Lord appeared to him and began to speak to him and started raising him up as a prophet. And one of the things that Samuel did that was different from anyone that had gone before, anyone in the Bible, and to show the importance of Samuel's life, uh, him and David combined they wrote, Samuel wrote the book of Judges, the book of Ruth. Uh, you look at uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, I'm talking about Samuel and David, 1 Chronicles, most of 2 Chronicles, the book of Psalms, most of the Old Testament. And this is right after, there was no teachers before Samuel or David, really, Moses. And there was this big, huge gap in theology, and they, they laid down theology that was amazing. Uh, David's name is mentioned about a thousand times in Scripture. That's way more than Abraham, than Peter, James, John, any of those guys. I mean, he was the son, he was the Messiah, Messianic leader of the Old Testament. Anyway, what Samuel did was he raised up singing priests. He raised up a group of priests. He became the leader uh, after Eli died and his sons, he became the leader in Israel over the priesthood. And he raised up singing musicians who did just what, they, what Marvin was talking about. They would, they would write their prayers and then set them to music. And you see this if you read the Psalms, you know, written by David for the choir director. You see it over and over. And what happened was he created a culture, an undercover culture while Saul was king, Samuel had built this huge underground ministry. It was huge. It wasn't some little, I used to think it was maybe 20, 30 guys, but he had hundreds of musicians and singers that he had trained and equipped to minister to the Lord in a totally different way than, than the sacrificial system. Okay, that was David's, all this was turned over to David. Saul, Samuel mentored David. And David encountered God through music over and over again. The power of God would come. Just like we worshiped this morning and the power of God came. We worshiped last night. God will come every time we worship him. But do you want him? Are you thirsty? You see? David cultivated. He took what, he took what Samuel had built and then he moved it up to Mount Zion, the fortified city. And this is what I want to talk about. David did something incredible. He took the ark and put it in Zion. No, Israel had never captured Zion before. Zion was the, about the size of this property, this little tiny place. 
he brought the priests there and they ministered to the Lord day and night, singing the Psalms, writing the scriptures, setting them to music, and worshiping the Lord there. And the Lord said, I desire Zion for my habitation. This is the place I love. The word Zion never appears in Scripture until 2 Samuel 5-7 when David captures it. It never appeared in Scripture to then. After that, it appears about 165 times as the most important thing in Scripture. It's the place where God's people minister to the Lord and make this connection with him and bring heaven to earth. David, the man after God's own heart, saw the value of that, and he financed it. He encouraged it. He built it up. He went there. He was part of it. He wrote many of the Psalms himself. Hey, man, Asaph, try this one. Preston, try this. Try it out, man. I didn't like the way Marvin did it. You try it, man. I think you can do a better job with this. And he, he built these priests up and honored them, and he paid for them. And they had this music thing, this 24-7 thing going on for 30 to 40 years, scholars says, the whole time he was king. And even after he died, after he passed the, the kingship over to Solomon, it was still going because Solomon was busy building the temple. And I want to so, read something that happened in Scripture. This is in, uh, this is in uh, Second Chronicles. And it's also in it's also in Kings. I'm not going to read the. I'm not. You know. Let me find it now. Uh, Chronicles. There we go. What happens when Solomon becomes king? Do you remember what he did? He built the temple, and then what did he do with the ark? Can anybody tell me? He moved the ark from Zion into the temple behind the curtain. You guys remember that? Let me find it here. And here's what happened. Because we, we look at this passage and we go, oh, that was awesome. What happened when Solomon dedicated the temple? And we go, man, that was so cool because the power of God fell. Here's what happens. The ark is brought into the temple. This is 2 Chronicles 5. And uh, they begin to sing. This is at the end of the chapter. They're singing. They're blowing trumpets, 120 trumpeters. I mean, I can imagine the music, the skill of these musicians after doing this for 30, 40, 50 years. The skill and the, the coordination, I mean, just hearing a team, the team we heard this morning, they played together the first time ever. That was the first time they ever played together. The team last night, first time ever. Can you imagine if they played every day for 30 years together, what they would sound like? So here's this incredible worship team, and they're singing, He is so good, His faithful love endures forever. This is verse 13, 2 Chronicles 5. At that moment, a cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their work because the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. And we hear that scripture, we go, man, God was into the temple. You know, 
Solomon's temple. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't think that was the case. I believe every time these guys led worship, the cloud came. I'll just, let's go into Psalms. We'll just look at a couple passages real quick. Let's go to Psalms uh, 48. You can see this over and over again when he talks about Zion. Psalm 50. Psalm 48. Psalm 48, verse 1, it says, How great is the Lord and how much we should praise him in the city of our God. The city of our God is Zion. Over and over, you'll see that in Scripture. It's called the city of God, the mountain of the Lord, which is on his holy mountain. It's magnificent in elevation. The whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, is the city of the great king with a capital K. It's his city. God himself is in her towers. He reveals himself as his defender, as her defender. And it goes into this thing as the kings of the earth come against Zion to attack it. They all fall out, trembling, busted up, defeated. They, don't, they can't even attack because of the power manifesting from this prayer meeting that's been going on. The same thing happened in, uh, when David was on the run from, Sam, uh, from Saul. Do you remember that? And he went to Samuel, and they have the prayer meeting, and Samuel sending group after group of, of army to, to arrest him, and every one of them falls down, and they prophesy, and they cannot arrest David because of the power of God when these guys would minister. You see what I'm saying? So the glory cloud that comes to the temple... It might have been like a it might have been like the Lord saying goodbye to everybody. Goodbye. I'm going back behind the curtain. And only the high priest will be able to come back here once a year. See you guys. I really loved being part of your meetings. It was great. The last generation was awesome. David was a man after God's own heart, the scripture says. He was the man dedicated to worship. Let me, let me just read a, a couple more. Psalm 87. Let's just look at this one. Just a couple of verses. One time I took every verse on Zion, and I took the key part of it, and I put it down all scrunched together on a piece of paper, and I read every one of them out loud in one of Marvin's meetings. Remember that, Marvin? <laughs> I don't know how he let me keep coming back there, but... You're so kind. <clears throat> Psalm 87, verse 1. On the holy mountain stands the city founded by the Lord. He loves the city of Zion more than any other city in Israel. O city of God, what wondrous things are said about you. Now, some people, what happened, Zion was Zion. It was this piece of property, and when the ark was moved into the temple... They started calling Jerusalem Zion. The idea of Zion expanded from Zion to Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. Now we consider a lot of times Israel Zion. And we call, and the Muslims, as a curse word, they curse them as Zionists. And we are helping the Zionists. 
were cursed by the Muslims. And why do you think the devil wants to call them and curse them with the word Zion? He never wants to hear that sound again. I'm telling you, when that sound of worship and praise begins to flow continually, it drives the enemy out. And there's no room for him. And we've, we've, here's what we've done as a church, as a church and as a church in the United States. Here's what we've done. And this goes back before even the United States was formed, but somewhere, I don't want to do a whole church history thing, in the past, we went from the idea of worship and the presence of God as New Testament believers who have access to his presence every day. Every day we have access to the same presence of God David had, even better, because we have better promises. And somehow we've said, that's not enough. We need to have a temple. We need to build a temple. And we built buildings, called, we call them church buildings, and we've taken God's presence and we put it back behind the veil somewhere. And we come once a week and we, we sing and praise God and we get a little bit of a touch from it. And somehow that satisfied us. And we're like drugged. That's the drug. That's it. We come in for our weekly, it's almost like an inoculation. We get enough of it to touch us and lift us up, but not enough to really cure us and change us. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? This is going to take a movement of people's hearts that go, I can't live without this. See, the presence we felt this morning, the presence from last night, this should be normal, everyday Christianity. In the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, guess where 3,000 people got saved? It was at the prayer meeting. Study it out. They were, the apostles didn't go out and do an evangelism. The noise of the prayer meeting got so good. The meeting was so good. They were laughing so loud. They were so full of joy in the Holy Spirit that others came and said, what is this sound? And Peter preached. Of course, that was a miraculous event the Lord had set up. But again, when Peter and John healed the, the crippled man, and 2,000 men got saved. Guess where they were? They weren't out evangelizing. They were on their way to the prayer meeting. Acts 3.1, read it. They were on their way to the 3 o'clock prayer meeting, and some guy starts begging from them. They say, hey, silver or gold, we have none. But what we have, because we do have something from God, what we have, we give to you. And they healed him, and he began to jump and dance and 2,000 men are saved. They weren't, they weren't doing, out doing evangelism. They were on the way to the prayer meeting. Where do you think Ananias and Sapphira died, dropped dead? They were at the prayer meeting. The presence of God was so thick in that meeting. Okay? And I, I'm just, I'm, I, I want to encourage you guys to understand this, that we're, we're, we're living in a time right now, I feel like, you know, we had this conference last uh, February, and we promoted it for weeks, and, you know, 
We had a great crowd. I mean, it was awesome. We had 100 people in our school. Who did the school of prayer last spring? Some of you dared to come back again. Okay, good. And we had an awesome time. And I mean, I love, I, my vision, my heart, my satisfaction comes from encountering God. And I have this thing that makes me satisfied. The thing that satisfies me, the thing that makes me like zoom in my gift is to bring people into the presence of God. I don't have to be the worship leader. If I can just get you guys in front of Jesus, I'm happy. I'm like, okay, look, Lord, I brought them. Or somehow they heard about it, and I'm in the, I don't have to, no one has to see my face or know my name. Okay? If I can bring you into the presence of Jesus and you encounter him, then I'm like, yes. Because I know when he starts talking to you, your life changes. But I'm telling you, the Lord is talking to us right now. We are not going to, you know, Gary's, Gary's part of a, uh, Gary's part of a uh, leadership team that's doing a, an event, Cry, United Cry 16, or is that DC 16, that's that with Lewis Hogan, who was at our meeting last February. They're bringing 30,000 pastors to the uh, mall in Washington on April 16th. That's their, that's their goal. April 9th, sorry. Uh, so, you know, his, their, their vision is to bring these pastors from all over to, to, to create a shift in the way pastors think and pray. And, but I know if we don't have this shift on an individual basis, if the people of God don't get this on a grassroots level, like right here, if we don't get this and lay hold of it, then it's just a meeting gone by. You know, in Matthew 11, uh, Matthew 11, Jesus is, is, he's actually woeing the cities. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. If the miracles that I did for you were done in Sodom, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Do you guys remember that? He did all these miracles there. He said that those were the cities he did his mighty miracles in. I'm not impressed. I love to see God do miracles, and if he does miracles among us, great. But Jesus is impressed with hearts that turn to him and, and set their face like a flint to seek him. Do you, do you see what I mean? And it is so much easier when we do it together. Tom can't do it. I, I can't pull this load myself. I know a lot of you guys are prayer people, and I, every minute you guys invest in this, but as the, as, the, as the kind of the front guy for this, I'm telling you, I, I can't carry it unless there's something awakens in your hearts to say, yes, we're going we're gonna to recommit. We're going to redouble up. We're going to double our effort right now unless we do that. Man, I just, it's like, oh, Am I wasting my time? I mean, Gary, are you paying me for nothing? You know, I don't want to take the money. I don't want to take the church's money anymore. You know what I mean? I used to have awesome meetings in my living room with like 30, 40 people, just awesome meetings. You know? But it's you guys right now. 
And I, and I have this feeling that people walk into the G-Hop and they sometimes go, the music's too loud. The music's not loud enough. It's too hot. It's too cold. We're too close together. We're too far apart. There's too many people in here. Why is nobody in here? And we have all this stuff, and then the enemy comes and like, what are you even doing here? This is a waste of time. And we buy into that, and we go, yeah, after this meeting tonight, <laughs> I'm going to go watch Family Feud or Dance with the Stars, or I'm going to watch, you know, Fantastic Island or whatever those shows are. I actually two, had two lovely ladies, my two ladies I love more than, and I won't disclose their names, but... In the beginning, because we had training on Tuesday night and Thursday nights. And they came up to me and said, man, we couldn't decide. And these are my, I love these guys because they're so honest. But they said, we couldn't decide between whether to miss American Idol. On, and I'm just making up the name of the show. because Or Dancing with the Stars. It was like, which one do we give up to be in the prayer room? Busy, busy, busy doing what? Are you, out, are you out feeding the poor, evangelizing? What are you guys doing? I know we're busy. The computers, the whole internet age makes us feel busy. But we're really not busy. All we got to do is turn it off. That's all we got to do. Jesus never anointed busy as an excuse not to come to the prayer meeting. Never. He rebukes. He's like, they, they said they were too busy. They couldn't come. Well, too bad. They missed out. I got a feeling right now Jesus is, is walking by his church. And you know what? Jesus says, come follow me. He doesn't stop and, and say, oh, okay, press, come follow me. Preston and Preston goes, eh, I'm thinking about it. Okay, well, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the deal. How about if you just come and follow me? Uh you know, Wednesdays at 10. I, go to, I got a class at Wednesday at 10. Okay, how about, you know, Jesus doesn't negotiate like that. He just says, come follow me. I know all your excuses. People come to me all the time and say, I can't be there because I got that, 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 that. And I go, shut up. I, I, I don't need to know all that. Just tell me when you can come. I don't, you hear what I'm saying? I know you got things on your schedule. But those things don't, that's not what I'm into. I'm, asked, I'm, asked, I'm looking for your schedule when it's not like that. Okay? Do you understand? I'm not saying this to lay, I don't want anybody to feel guilty. I don't want anybody to feel guilty. I want you to feel challenged today. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I believe, I totally believe that. Totally, I'm not trying to lay one more. If you come into the prayer meeting and all you do, you can bring a pillow from your house and a blanket and just come in and lay on the pillow and lay on the blanket and I will never rebuke you. If it takes you months to just come in and get rid of all the stress and all the stuff and all you can do is lay on a pillow, I accept that. That, that to me is a move of your heart toward God. But to make excuses, I'm too busy, I'm too stressed, I got too much going on, that, that will not prepare you for the things that are coming on the earth. The FBI just today came out and said, 
we expect, what was it, they, a thousand probes? I don't know what that means, but they're, they're looking into a thousand different potential ISIS cells in the United States right now. I'm not trying to scare you from ISIS. I'm telling you, we are living in the days of confusion, the days of Babylon on the earth. Confusion, prosperity, blessing, too many choices. It wears us out. We need to stop and lay down in green pastures and drink from quiet waters. I am not trying to lay one more thing on you. I'm saying if you just come in with your blanket, you could come in your pajamas. I'm, I, I mean it. I mean it. And I will never criticize you. I'd say, hey, they're here. Their hearts shifted. If you just come in and take a nap, if you start snoring real loud, I will come and offer you a, a throat lozenge or something, okay? Because I know I snore a little myself, okay? But the Lord is calling you. How many of you feel just like, come on? I want to do this. I don't want to build Solomon's temple and say it's beautiful. Look at the building. Marvin was just talking about that. Look at how excellent this is. Gary was sharing a dream with us yesterday, how he went into a church and everything was excellent. The greeters outside were excellent. The, come in the door and all the signage, and it's excellent. And the music and worship is excellent. And everybody's just, part, everybody's just being... Uh, observers, being entertained. We've got to engage. We've, you've got to say yes in your heart and say, I want this. It's not me. If you guys vote me out and say, we're all go to the prayer room as long as Tom's not there, I will leave and let you have the prayer room. I promise you. I, all I want is to see people come to Jesus and make themselves ready for his return. That's all I want. I'm that simple. I don't have... I don't have any other agenda, okay? I don't, and please, if anyone feels like guilty or shame, please, that is not, I hope you guys know me, because I, in the prayer meetings, I work overtime to get people un, I work overtime to get people free, to get their hearts free, and we have wit, we have testimony after testimony of people getting their hearts free, and, and their lives being changed in the presence of God is not, I never, ever want to give, as a matter of fact, I never say you have to go to the prayer meeting or I have to go to the prayer meeting. Let me just close, I'm going to close with this. Uh, unlike some people I know, when I say I'm going to close, I'm very close to closing. Gary, man, you were on fire last night, bro. I'm, uh, and we would have all sat there because every person I, I talked to was like, that was awesome. I'm like, really? They're like, really awesome. God, listen, this is the funny thing. I spend all this, I get to. I get to go to the prayer meeting. I never have made my wife or my kids come to the prayer meeting. I say, you get to come to the prayer meeting. There's a feast. You get to come to the feast. If you don't want to come, that's fine. I never lay guilt on my wife. You can ask my wife or my kids about it. Never, ever. I want you to come, but I don't want, if I make, because I, can, I can't make you. 
follow him like this. God, is, God, I believe, is calling us to something new to prepare his bride. Grace Community Church is a model church that other churches are looking at. I've taught, I, I, know, I know dozens and dozens of pastors personally in this region, and they go, you do 80 prayer meetings a month? We can't even get one. We can't get one prayer meeting a month. You do 80 prayer meetings a month? I'm like, yeah, we should be doing like, you know, twice that. But listen, the Lord, forget the guilt. This is about a, an invitation to come to him. He says, if anyone comes to me, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. And out of the innermost being will flow rivers of water. You will never be sorry that you came and encountered Jesus at a prayer meeting. Never. You'll never leave and go, man, that was the, I encountered Jesus. He spoke to me, embraced me, hugged me, but man, that was terrible. I've never heard anyone say that, but I've, I've heard and I've experienced a hundred times watching a movie or a TV show and go, man, that was a waste of time. We just wasted an hour and a half doing that. You hear what I'm saying? The Lord is inviting you. And we've got the school of prayer starting Monday, Thursday nights. It doesn't matter. You could come in Sunday night, Monday night. We've got prayer meetings going all day Tuesday, you know, Wednesday prayer. I mean, we've got them all over the place. If you want to come to the school of prayer, we're going to be talking about making yourself ready for the Lord's return and having hope in your heart during this time. Because here's the deal, guys. If we're shining with joy and hope, we're the, we're the overcomers. We're going to sit with him on his throne forever, okay? And you're going to see more and more people just in despair and darkness. And if you don't have the anointing to deal with it, you're not going to be able to help them. A prayerless, a prayerless Christians are, are not really Christians anymore. You know what I mean? It's not going to fly in the days to come. It's not going to fly. You hear what I'm saying? We need him. We need him. Preston, could you jump on the keyboard one more time? We did that this morning. Yeah, a little bit. We'll, and we'll do some more. Good, Vicky. Thanks for anything we write down, we're accountable to forever. We need him in a deeper dimension. I hope you guys are filled up, filled with joy right now, filled with hope. And I'm telling you, there's you people right here in this room could turn not only this church around, but the churches in this region. If you'll just, if you'll just believe. Candy, was that okay? I, didn't, I don't want to crush anybody ever. Lord, we want to know you. Let's just pray. The, the house of prayer, Jesus' house of prayer, when he said my house will be a house of prayer, he's talking about my people. The house of prayer gives us a venue to do it together. It's a venue 
doesn't matter what it's looked like. It's a place where we can do it together. It doesn't matter if it's in this room, in our living room, with 20 other people, in the G-Hop. It's a venue to gather together around him because he's worthy of our affection. Let's just pray. Just, I think it's just time to say, Lord God, am I everything you've heard this weekend, how can I, how can I redouble my, my determinate, determination? St. Teresa of Avila said, praying is easy. The determination to pray is really hard. I'm asking Holy Spirit to give determination to your people. Lord, we don't want to be that group that Jesus said, I played the flute, they didn't dance. We sang a dirge and they didn't mourn. God, we want to be those people that say, God, if you play the flute, we're going to dance. If you bring destruction, we're going to, we're going to mourn with those who mourn, but then we're going to rejoice because of your goodness through it all. Set us free from our personal hang-ups. and they need supernatural strength and determination to endure.
You know, I just, uh, I touched on Solomon briefly about building the temple. Do you know it says he only went back to the temple three times a year for the feasts? Then you know he went into idolatry. His heart was away from God, so what do we do when we're far from God? We go into idolatry. He became, Solomon, the son of David, became an idol worshiper. And his son fell totally away from the Lord, divided the kingdom. And everything that David invested seemed to go poof. Uh, I saw in in my heart, I saw uh, this young, like in his 20s, excited young man, way ahead of everybody else. And he was all excited because he was um, getting nearness of God, and he was, it was was just so fulfilling. He was so thrilled. And uh, the only thing that and it didn't bother him that he was the only one way ahead of everybody else. And he was all by himself. And, uh, and I've been asking God, well, what was that vision about? What, was that? what is that? You know? And I believe that's Pastor Tom. Um, and, and I think that God is calling many of us to uh, embrace what God's calling each of us to do. Nothing, nothing more but everything that he's calling us to do. It's kind of lonely when we're only one following God, when, 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 when we get find others joining us. It's so much more thrilling and exciting. That's all. Thank you, Tom. You're his people. I love you guys so much. I gave a communion message. I just share this, and then we're gonna we'll pray for Israel. Wrap things up. But I was I gave a communion message about a month ago, and I went to give the microphone back in back to the sound guys, and I was standing back I was standing back by the sound booth, and I heard the Lord say to me. He asked me a he invited me. He said, "Will you betroth yourself to this people, to this people? I've been here six years." And, and I love you guys. I mean, I'm, I'm the coolest people, the most. I've got more affection for you guys than I know. But there's, always, there's this, you know, because of past rejections and past hurts, I've got this kind of check, like, will it last? Will it really, will the, you know what I mean? Will we really do it together? Because, man, if we don't do prayer, if you guys don't want to do prayer, I'm out of here. I'm just, I don't do all the other kind of stuff in the ministry stuff. I don't do all that. I just do prayer and worship. That's all I do. So it's like, you know, I got to find a place to do that. But I felt like the Lord said, will you betroth yourself to this people? And then he said, will you marry this people? And uh, I didn't answer him yet. I'm just telling you. Not because I'm like blackmailing anybody, but I'm like, I'm like, God, am I really ready to to give my life. I just turned 60. It's like, am I going to give the next 10 years or 15 years? I want to give it with the, I want to be with the people who are passionate for him and want him more than they want anything else, any other kind of ministry. I'm just telling you. That's 
And uh, so I'm, I'm like, I do, I, wanna, I want to, but I'm scared. I'm afraid. And uh, so keep me in prayer. Gary, I think it'd be apropos if you would just lift up Israel, Jewish people. Tom just asked me if I could be betrothed to him, and I said, I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Who, what's your name anyway? Hey, can we all stand together and face East. I love doing this. Now, this is East, right? Am I right? Yeah. Would you extend your hands towards us? You know, this is such an inc incredible thing that we do to come into agreement with the heart of God to bless His people Israel. You know, our salvation and theirs is linked. Did you know that? It's linked. The veil was on their eyes so that we could have the gospel. Isn't that something? So that we can provoke them to jealousy. You see, you see that. Not envy. Envy is when somebody has something you want, but jealousy is when somebody has something that belongs to you. That's what jealousy is. And so as we extend our hands right now, this is one of the most precious things to do is to say, Father, we come in agreement with your heart and we bless your people, Israel. We say yes and amen to every plan and purpose, every intent and prophecy. And as we extend our hands, Father, we're asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of your Son to be released like a river, God, from the north areas of the Golan Heights there in Israel specifically, all the way down to the Negev, the very tip, to the Jordan River Valley, all the way to the ocean. God, we pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to open the eyes of your people. Lord, I thank you that... Thousands, thousands of believers, Jewish-born believers have come to faith, and they're beginning to say, Baruch Hababa, Shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we say yes and amen, and we bless your people Israel right now. And Father, for every Messianic community, Lord, from the north to the south and the east and the west, how we pray, your overwhelming blessing and prosperity upon them, that doors of favor would open to them in, in Yeshua's name. Lord, that great boldness would be extended to your people there, the Messianic believers. Great boldness and favor, Lord, would be extended. And we just pray, God, that the eyes of the Jewish people would be open to behold their Messiah. And we just thank you, Father, for it now. And Lord, even here as we stand in grace community, let this be a church who says, we bless your people, Israel. We come into agreement and we say, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And we say yes and amen. 
Amen. Amen. Well, bless you.